So we'll be starting a series in Judges for the next couple of weeks. And uh, just curious, raise your hand if you've heard sermons on Judges. Okay, raise your hand if you never heard sermons on Judges. And so I was reading a book on Judges, and the author started out by saying he asked his congregation to stand and sit down if you heard a sermon on Judges, and like half of them sat down. Uh, how many of you heard of Gideon? And another half sat down, and he was shocked. Many people don't know a lot of those great stories in Judges. Judges, if you ever thought the Bible was boring, Judges is one of those books that should be rated R. It's rated R for violence. It should be on Netflix, and you shouldn't be watching it, uh, high school kids. Um, and so the whole story of Judges, so here's a summary of it, and today's message is just the intro. This is what life looks like when people drift away from God and the generations that follow them forget who God is. And it's a downward spiral, generation after generation, where this is what happens when a society lives as they see fit in their own eyes. So, let's jump in. Um, you know the sayings, I love these inspiration sayings, uh, and some of you have heard of it. Uh, something like, trust in your own heart. Follow your dreams. Or statements like, believe in yourself, listen to your gut, and do what you love. If it makes you happy, do it. Uh, we've all heard statements like that. But just thinking about people who really struggle with either narcissism or are pathological or they're sociopathic, you know, when you say things like this to them, when there's no bearing of morality, what does that look like? Hey, live out your dreams. Do what you want. We get a picture of that in Judges. The summary of Judges, there's a few times that this verse comes out, but uh, uh, here we go. Judges 17, 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Real quick, the first line gives us a hint that the author of Judges was a little bit after. He knew that there was a king. This is when Saul was king or David was king. So he's reflecting on history as he's writing this, and he says in those days there was no king. And so can we read this line together? Ready to go? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's kind of like America right now. If it makes you happy, do it. That's the message we get over and over again. You know what? Who Your truth is your truth. There is no truth. Whatever you desire is right, it's right for you. And that's a very diplomatic way of saying everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So we have, we have uh, you know, we have KKK, we have Black Lives Matter, we have, you know, we have all the Democrats, Republicans, radicals. We have this world going, we know we're right, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so Judges, we see a glimpse of this. It starts off with Joshua who was a successor of Moses, and God gave Joshua and Israel the land of Canaan, and now Joshua is dead, and he died at the young age of 110 years old. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Actually, someone who's watching our worship now, she's 102 years old. Vivian, wherever you're watching, shout out to you. She's amazing. So Joshua lived a full life, and he's dead. And what do you do when you're dying to tell your country, hey, Remember God's covenant. Do not forget your God. He's the one that brought us here. 
He commands us to clear out this land from these foreign nations who sacrifice children to please their God, these false idol worshipers. Do not violate your covenant with God. Listen and keep his instruction. So Joshua dies, and what do the people say to Joshua? This is what we usually say to our parents. Of course we will. What do they do? Completely abandon God. If you read Joshua 1 and 2, Judges 1 and 2, it says, and they abandoned him. They turned away from him. They rejected him. And so you see what they did to set up Judges. So Judges is a tragic book. It's a dark book. It's a book that you don't really read to little children at night uh, because you, there's a story that we'll read about a guy stabbing a guy in the blubber and it was so fat that his hand got stuck in his belly. Very graphic. Um, and then there's like graphic stories that we'll hear about Jehu, this girl who kills an evil king by driving a tent pig in his head. I mean, and you're like, thought the Bible was boring? And so Judges 2 begins with this. One and two. Now the angel of the Lord went up to Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt, brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. That's our God. God says, I won't break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Do not worship these gods. Don't follow them. You shall break down their altars. And then this is what the angel says, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? Now, some of you who are very uh, astute with society and respect and multicultures and multiple religions are probably thinking, why does God want to kill all these other pagan gods? And why does he want to drive them out? Why can't we just have harmony and coexist? And God clearly gives these instructions because Israel... He wants Israel to avoid being like their nations. Now, raise your hand if you hang out with friends and you start picking up their lingo. Be honest. Oh, look at all the Bible. <laughs> okay, raise your hand if you start hanging out with some people and you start dressing like them, right? Sometimes I go to the mall in high school. Kids are wearing the exact same clothes, like four of them, and it's like, they're like, we want to be distinct and individual, and they all wear the same thing. And so... It's, it's kind of, you know, we went through that. My generation was a long hair, heavy metal, Metallica, Led Zeppelin. And I try to grow my hair out like the, like the headbangers. But my hair is curly. So when I grew it out, it turned into like this pigtail and perm. And I wasn't that cool. So anyway, we, try to, we look like the people next to us. And in America, when you go to SoCal, you start talking like people. You start blending in. You start absorbing their culture. This is what human nature does. And what God is saying is, I want you to be holy. Holy means set apart. Holy means you are my instruments. You are my exclusive people for the world to see that there is one true God. And I did this by separating the Red Sea and the Jordan so you could get to this land. You are followers of the true God. And so God says, clear them out. But the other part is, it was a judgment on these nations. I don't care what you think about inclusivity, but if a religion says, let's burn children to our God to please him, it's probably not a good religion. I don't think we've had a child sacrifice in our church in a long time. Um, and so this, these are the things that God says, hey, my, 
righteous judgment is going to be upon them through you. So drive them out. So this is not like, can we get along? This is, this is evil. This is not good for our society. So Israel fails to do that. And so this is what we see. This, there's so many different charts, but they all are very similar. So rest of Judges, chapter 3 to 17 is this cycle that you see over. And the cycle begins with, they serve God. Yay. And then over time, what do ki- children do without adult supervision? <laughs> we, like adult children too, we fall and we do what we see fit in our own eyes. We, they started worshiping other gods. And it was convenient because the prophets of Baal had a temple, and temple had temple prostitutes. And Israel said, you know, we should explore. This is kind of open. Let's be open-minded here. And they started falling into sin. And then what happens is they're enslaved because God removes his protection on them and allows foreigners to come in and to ravage them. So Israel is in bondage, and this happens. They cry out finally. And every single time, God raises up a savior, a judge. So judge is not like a a court judge. And he's not Aaron Judge, although Aaron Judge is probably a, one of the most amazing people in the world, Yankee fans. A judge is a military leader that God uses to raise and redeem Israel during that time, and they're delivered. So they serve the Lord, but they fall in over and over and over. There are 15 judges in this book. Five are like major. And so what's amazing about this cycle is they never learn. And they say it's about three to 400 years. And so cycles are hard to break, aren't they? Some of you guys may be struggling with a cycle. Uh, cycles are real. Addiction cycles are real. Sex addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. And this is uh, very similar to what we see here. This is one of the typical classic cycles that we fall into. People who struggle they, they have an emotional trigger. They crave the substance. They go into it. They start using it. And then they feel guilty, and they get to the bottom of their point, and they need help. And so they get back to this, and then they cycle over over again. I was reading a case study of a woman who just overcame cocaine addiction, and she was doing well for a couple of years. She had a baby. As she was changing the baby's diaper, she spilled baby powder, and that visual triggered something in her. And she relapsed back into cocaine. It it is a lifelong addiction. So cycles, by nature, even the way we experience it, it's something that we just don't break by ourselves. And this is a spiritual cycle, as well as this is a relevant cycle that we can't look at Israel and say, oh, those ancient barbaric people, we're more civilized. We live in Biola, La Mirada, Whittier, California. We're very smart, wise, and we can control this stuff. We don't worship statues, but we have this susceptible addiction or susceptibility to cycles like this. So, how did Israel fall into this cycle? Um, As we read Judges 2, I'm going to go back and Judge 1. The first, as mentioned, Israel just simply stopped obeying God. Now, I know this is kind of too blunt, but I'm going to ask you, how are you really in your life? I don't, don't tell me you go to church. 
Don't tell me you have a faith. Don't tell me, you know, I'm a Christian. I write. Just let me ask it this way. How are you when it comes to obedience to God? It changes the difference, right? You know, it's not like I went to church when I was little and I did VBS and I went to summer camp. The question is this. How are you and me, how are we doing these days in desiring obedience to God? Judges 1 ends like this, and it goes on. Verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth. Verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of account. Do you see the pattern? It's saying the tribes of Israel completely disobeyed and neglected God's command. How did they get into the cycle? It starts with disobedience. It starts with, you know, God doesn't really mean it. I know he says don't have sex outside of marriage, but everyone's doing it. You know, I know God says give me, give me your first fruits and, and worship me and worship me only, but come on, it's baseball. You know, it's, it's my girlfriend. It's my job. Everyone's got to get a job. And it starts with a little slip that once we start to say it's okay to disobey God, it enters us into the danger of falling into this cycle. And so second, how did they fall into it? This part scared me. Verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation. Can you say another generation? After them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. We are one generation away from losing all that you think is valuable in your life. My children, this is on me, don't know how to speak Korean well. And I'm worried, we tried, we tried, but it's so hard. We are one generation, of, I, I could barely speak Korean myself, but anyway, that's besides the point. The point is we are one generation away from losing what you think is precious to you when we neglect to impart to the next generation. It's also the next generation's fault, but there's something here. That's scary. One generation away. And so when churches are focused on themselves and they forget the vision of 20 years from now, who will the people be? Shame on you. And that's why the churches are dying, I think. We have to think about what are we preparing for this next generation? And by the way, it's not contemporary music. That's not what makes you reach the next generation. It's the ability to listen, to connect, to feed, to walk and disciple them, to show them the greatness of Christ. Uh, Kerry Newhoff just came out with this past week. He says, the incoming college students, 18-year-olds, how many of you are 18 to 19 years old? Okay. Just think about this. Today is 9-11. Incoming college students did not exist, and they were not born when 9-11 happened. Incoming college kids did not ever lick a stamp. They've always had a stamp that was self-adhesive. Remember licking stamps? Remember Jerry Seinfeld? Was it Jerry? Or I think one of the shows. And they have never known Princess Diana, Notorious B.I.G., Jack Cousteau, or Mother Teresa while they were alive. Notorious B.I.G. Um, they, never, they never lived in a world where hybrid automobiles were mass-produced. And this is crazy. They never knew outer space without human habitation. They've, they were born into that. I was born in 1970-something. Um, and then, and, you know, like half of these things, I'm like, I remember. And then last part, 
They've always known movies to be streaming on the internet. Remember Blockbuster, folks? Remember going to the Blockbuster? All the young people right now are like, what? We used to drive to Blockbuster, walk around for two hours to pick one movie and a bag of popcorn, pay four bucks, and go home and watch it. Rewind it and bring it back the next day. <laughs> this is our generation. So anyway, they are what, this is how fast we've changed generations. Now they watch phones on their devices. They watch worship online. So there arose a generation after the parents who knew God, who saw his work, and the next generation did not know God, nor all that God has done. This should make us tremble. And so third, why did they fall into this cycle? This is what happens when people do whatever their hearts desire. Joshua chapter 21, verse 25 repeats the same verse in 17. Let's read it together again. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes or her eyes. You know, the word sin in the Bible is not like, oh, you cursed, you sin. That's how we do it. I think modern times people base morality based on, oh, you were not nice, you sinned. The Bible didn't judge sin, define sin that way. When the Bible says he's a wicked person, it wasn't because they robbed a bank. Wickedness in the Bible is associated with he's a person who has neglected, rejected, and turned away from God. That changes the definition. Because we have a lot of people who are morally compassed, like, I don't need the church. I don't need God. I just have to be a good person because that's what it's about. And there's nothing wrong with that in how we treat one another. But the way God, who is the giver of good, the God who is the compass for what points to right and wrong, God is the essential core of what makes morality make sense. In other words, if you take God out of that equation, what's good for you and good for them, it's arbitrary. But if there is a God who is holy and just, it brings clarity to what is evil and what is good. This is why sin is anything that has nothing to do with God. And so sin is discerning God. Sin is not how we morally treat one another, but it's in our hearts. Where is God in your life? And so look at the language. Verse 17, the people did not listen to the judges, and they hoard after other gods. They literally prostituted themselves and sexually enmeshed physically through these temple gods, and they gave themselves to other gods, just as they did to their own god. You know, the illustration is graphic. This is what it means. Husband and wife, the wife prostitutes herself, even though she's married to a husband, to other men. And men do the same. This is what God considers just jealous, abhorrent, enraged, because he loves. By the way, if a wife does that and a husband goes, oh, I don't care, I just want her to be happy, he doesn't truly love her. He doesn't. He's afraid to lose her, maybe, but he doesn't love her because love brings her back to health. And so finally, why did judges fall into this? And this is why we're doing canoeing the mountains. It was a leadership meltdown. If you want to see a book about how to be a bad leader, <laughs> read Judges. Judges is full of bad leaders. And here's the ironic thing. The judges who were sent by God to rescue the people were the ones flawed. 
And so Bible Project has a great video that summarizes judges, and I love this part. Because the judges are the leaders with the flawed characters, we have to remember God delivers Israel through judges, but this is a theological truth. The empowerment of God's Spirit does not equal endorsement of human choices. In other words, just because a pastor is gifted or some worship leader is gifted or somebody is like amazingly talented, it doesn't mean, and they get that from God, that doesn't necessarily mean everything they do is endorsed by God. Today we live in a time we say, oh, God desired that. God blesses them. God wants them to be happy, so God gives them this. No, God is a holy God. God has given us his word. God gifts people by his grace. Even atheists have been given gifts to do business well, to be great with people. But that doesn't mean it endorsed by God, all that they do. So let's get to the point. The story of Judges is saying there's a futility of humans to break sins. If you think we're going to go read Judges and say, here's five ways that you could help your life, you got something else coming to you. That's actually not the whole story of the Bible. The Bible is not, here's ten ways that you could get right with God. The Bible is, you cannot break out of the cycle of sin by your own good intentions and your morality. Because over and over again, they get a judge, they break, the cycle repeats. So it's not the right leader Meaning, America, it's not the right president, it's not the right political party, it's not the right pastor, it's not the right politicians that's going to save our country. God is showing through judges, human leadership will serve God's purpose, but they can never deliver you from the bondage. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. That's the point of Judges. And the reason why that's possible is because there's this crazy verse. The judges is pointing us the only way you break that chain is this. Hope in God. Uh, verse 18 has a verse that King James Version translates differently. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the, of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. The King James Version translates this into this word. For it repented the Lord. God, it repented the Lord. You know what that means? God repented. Now you should say, wait a minute. God didn't sin. How does God repent? Well, what does the word repent mean? It's not saying I'm sorry for sin. What does repent mean? It's turning. So when we repent, we're turning from sin and turning to God. God turned. He turned from his anger and judgment because of their pity. Hoping God is real because God actually feels compassion for you and me. And can we say hallelujah? So you messed up 50 billion times, and you're like, you're about to mess up 50 billion and one. What's your hope? A God who doesn't shake his head, point his finger, a God who hears the groaning of your contrition and your bondage, and you're crying out, deliver me, and God says, I will. Because he's a God who empathizes. 
So God's mercy is what rescues us, and the judges are shadows of the true perfect judge who is to come, who does not have any flaws. And it points to the fact that one day we will be delivered. Um, I was reading this article, and he quotes this author, Miroslav Volf. Miroslav Volf describes this as God. Breaking the vicious cycle of violence by, how does God break vicious cycle of violence? Absorbing it. That's powerful to me. How does God break the cycle of sin in your life? He absorbs your pain, your sin. He takes it on himself through Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's how, so he doesn't say fix yourself. He says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to take it from you. The violence, the pain. And so the solution of the cycle breaking is not, the title was misleading. It was, it was a clickbait, the sermon title, How to Break the Cycle of Sin. The only hope we have is that Jesus Christ has to be the one that delivers us. Um, I mean, you have, you've heard of AA, 12 Steps, Celebrate Recovery. And I was reading the Celebrate Recovery 12 Steps. Listen to that language that God has to deliver you. You can't deliver yourself. We even read it today in the Statement of Faith, Confession of Faith. So, number one, just celebrate, I'll just read through some of this. We admitted we are powerless. We came to believe that a God greater than ourselves could restore san- us to sanity. We made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God, repenting. We made a searching and a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. This is celebrate recovery steps. Over and over, you hear what? We have given over our control to God. And so how do we break anger issues? How do we break sin addictions of sexual addictions, drug addictions? And in the bulletin, you have that paragraph from Yates. We can't save ourselves. The first step is to own and give over to God our sinful tendencies. How do you overcome pride? You get so good at it, you feel proud. (laughs) How do you overcome pride? You give over your pride, and you surrender yourself to God. How do you give over your anger issues? In those moments, you give over that angst to God. God, heal me, help me. Give me your patience. And so this is a surrendering that breaks the cycle over and over again. And so we want to be see a generation, in summary, of happy people who follow God's dreams. We want to see people who are broken from the consequences of sin because they found their hope in God. The chain is broken. And when we resort to ourselves, Judges is a book that shows this is what happens when you live as you see fit in your own eyes. But there is hope when you turn to God. So let's look into this for the next couple of weeks and let's soak it in and praise God for being a God who delivers us. We are not our own saviors. We are humble people drowning as we read in the bulletin and all we could do is relax, surrender to the rescuer. Let's pray. Lord, we are excited. Open our eyes to the book of Judges, your word that it may guide us that these are not examples to follow but these are messages of our brokenness our sins our tendency for cycles that we get trapped in 
And when we get frustrated, why we can't break out of it, we are recognizing that the deliverer is who we need. The deliverer was sent hundreds of years later, and his name was Christ. Lord, in this room, there are people who know people who are struggling with bondages of substance abuse or addictions. And so, God, we ask that they would call out to you for help, that they would know that you're a God who hears and who has compassion and who repents and turns to them. God, may we also recognize spiritually that we are people who tend to be so independent we want to live life our way, even do God's work, your work our way. Humble us. Help us to do it with you. Help us to walk in obedience. Help us to realize that there's a generation after us and that this church life is not just for our personal benefit, but we want to make a path for the generations after us to know you, to hold you, to see the good news that you have for them. Lord, make this so in our church, in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.